All right. It's good to see you guys. Are you ready to get into it? All right. Get your Bibles out. You got those things? Or turn your Bibles on. Turn with me to... Turn with me or scroll with me to 2 Kings. Scroll on down to 2 Kings. Uh, chapter 6, verse 8. 2 Kings, chapter 6, verse 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. A man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that when he was on his guard in such a place... This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and he demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord king, said his officers. But Elijah, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. That's kind of scary, right? Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and strong forces there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up, that would be like an intern or a seminary student, okay? So when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elijah prayed, Oh, Lord, open this intern's eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, and Elijah asked, as Elisha asked, Elisha told them, this is not this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered in the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside of the city of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Don't kill them, he answered. Would you kill men who had captured with your own sword and bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and go back to their masters. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and returned to their master. So the bands from Aram, they stopped raiding Israel. Very interesting story, and this story is actually about 
vision and lack of vision and how important vision is. We have, we have Elisha who is, he's got this direct connection with God and he's foiling the plans of the enemies of Israel. Like he knows their, he knows their next step. So they can't win. They can't, they can't get a foothold and they can't, they can't beat the Israelites because Elisha's messing things up. And so they, he sends, he sends this, this band of bad guys to go get them. And no one can see what God's doing except for Elisha. Elisha, Elisha can see what God's doing. But, you know, we've got, you know, we've got some good guys and we've got some bad guys. Obviously, the bad guys can't see what God's doing. But even the good guy, even the seminary student, he, he can't see. He doesn't realize what's going on. And so all, all, all is before him is, is imminent death. He sees the bad guys that are out to kill him. And that's what he's focused on. That's what he's obsessed with. And, and for good reason, because these are bad guys. These were really bad guys. Uh, they, they tortured people. They, they killed the Israelites' children before their eyes. Not, it's not good. So he's terrified. And Elijah says, praise to God, open, open my intern's eyes. Open the seminary student's eyes so they can re- he can really see what's going on. And there's the beauty of the whole thing. You know, in the midst of our trouble and in the midst of our pain, it's very difficult to see what God's doing and where he's at. But once we begin to see with the eyes of a prophet, once we begin to see with the eyes of a man of God, when we begin to push into heaven, push into, into the kingdom of heaven, we can see things that aren't there. We can open our eyes and we could see angel armies, chariots of fire. And we know then, once we have a sight, once we have a vision of heaven, that our armies are bigger than his armies. Or that our God is more active than any problem that you could possibly face. That's how present God is. The interesting part about the rest of the story that I like to hit on is that um, it's like Elijah says, okay, you are not in the right city. And you are not on the right road. And you're not, you're not after the right guy. It's like he's using Jedi mind tricks on these guys. And... Um, this is not the place. And so he, and he says that they, they got blinded, but then he says, I want you to follow me. So it probably wasn't a literal blindness, but they weren't quite sure why they were there and what they were doing there. There was confusion in their ministry. They knew specifically what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to get the holy man and kill him or capture him. And now they're, now they're confused. Now the enemy of God is in his confused state, and they're following the pipe piper into their enemy's lair, into the, probably the encircled city. And so when they come to their senses, it's St. Like, it's Patrick's Day tomorrow, right? Did St. Patrick, did he lead the, the rats out of Ireland, or is that somebody else? That's somebody else. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day. I have, a, I have a really good Irish joke, but he says I can't tell it. Is this, anyway. Um, so he leads, he leads this army like a Pied Piper into, into the city of Israel, into, the, into Samaria. And I, I, we don't sure exactly what it looked like, but it was probably a fortified city. And they probably got these guys in there. And he, like, with the, with the, he woke them up. It's like, you know, hypnotism. He's like, wake up. And they woke up and they're like, oh, man, we're dead. 
because they got boiling cauldrons of oil they're going to pour on these guys and they got their bows lined up and their spears lined up and they're going to just slaughter them. And that's just what you do in the Old Testament. You, do, you kill them all and you let God sort them out. And um, here's the interesting thing. This is um, Elijah, this prophet, this man of God, this one that received the double portion, portion of the anointing from his, his mentor, Elijah, he is acting and behaving just like Jesus would. Now, was Elisha lying when he said, come and follow me, and I'm going to show you the guy that you're looking for? Because there's, there's the irony. He's the guy they're looking for, right? No, I don't think he was lying. I mean, in war, I guess it's okay to lie, right? Is it okay to, if somebody's trying to kill you, is it okay to say, oh, no, kill that guy. I'm not the one you're looking for. I, that's not what's going on. There's a deeper truth here, and actually there's a New Testament truth here. Because Elijah leads the enemy of God into the city of the people of God. Well, that's debatable. But um, he, he, they were a different group. Of, never mind. Um, he leads them in, and the king of Israel says, shall I kill them? And here's where the honor comes in. Shall I kill them, Lord? So the king of Israel actually defers to Elijah as, as his Lord. Shall I kill them? And, and again, this would be an expression. This is a New Testament revelation says, no, you feed them. You, you bring them in, and you feed them, and, and you hold a banquet for them, and then you let them return to their homeland. And as a result, the raids stop. So we actually see Elijah acting like Jesus. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story. But what I really want to hit on is, is the vision, the vision of heaven that Elijah is able to tap into. And then he's able to teach his disciple to see. And so as, as Granite Creek is, is moving forward and we're in a new season, and a lot of people ask, where is Granite Creek going? What is Granite Creek's vision for the future? And that's what I want to talk about today, is where we're going and what our vision is. And it, 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 I can't do it all in one Sunday. I, I figured that out for a service. Um, I can't do it all in one Sunday. And... There is a lot of different elements about where the direction of Granite Creek is going, and I need you to see it in a holistic level. But today, we're talking specifically about vision and direction. Next week, we'll be talking about mission and values. Now, there's a difference. The way that I'm the breaking it apart and the way that I'm framing it is there's a difference between our mission and our values. That's what we do. I hit on it a couple times last week. Our to boil our mission and our values down is that we, are, we do relationship and not religion. At least we try to. Sometimes I don't do relationship well at all. But at least I know that that's what we need to be doing. Granite Creek does relationship, not religion. That is our mission, our overall mission. But see, I believe that our, our direction and our vision for the future is different. I'm going to read to you uh, what Pastor wrote a couple years ago about the vision of Granite Creek Church and, um, and, and how he sees it. Uh, let's see. All right. The vision of Granite Creek is a desire to see the lost come to know Christ in a powerful way. A desire to see Christ 
the lost come to Christ in a powerful way, and to grow in him through perseverance and character. Can you say perseverance and character? Perseverance and character. Compelled by the great commission and, the, and Christ's great commandment to serve widows, orphans, and those in need. We view the church as the greatest tool to deliver hope to the hopeless. We also believe that regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, God has a plan of significance and meaning for your life and your family, an ultimate plan of God's love which offers you hope for a bright future through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, those are, those are the words of my father, and they're not, that's not going to change per se, but I'm going to boil that statement down to something very specific. And it sounds really religious, but the desire to see lives transformed in power, that is something that we call the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And again, super religious words. What is the kingdom of God? What is the, what is the kingdom of heaven? And when Jesus was on the planet, that's what he preached that was his message. That was his number one message. He says, I have come to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. It's here. It's now. It's inside of you. It's not yet. And so today, the overarching vision and direction is a desire to see heaven, desire to see the kingdom of heaven. And so I've boiled what he said down to something very specific. I, I believe strongly, and if you're an elder in this church, I want you to take notes, and I want your feedback, and I want you to, you know, bounce some things off, but this is it. This is what I believe that the direction of our church is. This is what I believe the vision of our church is. The vision of Granite Creek is to see families and culture transformed by heaven. Family is a big deal in our church. And they need to be transformed by heaven. Culture is everything around. And we live, we live in, a, in a culture, and our culture is powerful. It needs to be transformed too. Uh, about 30 years ago, uh, there were three men of God in, in this country that, that, had, that got woke up in the middle of the night with the very same vision and direction from God. One was Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. The other was Lauren Cunningham, who is the founder of YWAM Ministry. And the third, which is one of my favorites, is uh, uh, Francis Schaefer, who had a ministry in, in, in Switzerland. I wish I could have gone there. But he wrote a book called How Then Shall We Live, which changed my life. He is, he is one of the greatest thinkers of our generation. And they all got woke up in the middle of the night with a very specific vision and dream for actually our country. And the, the vision was that there are seven influences in our culture. They call this the seven mountains of influence. And if you have ever been to, uh, I don't know, some type of a business uh, um, meeting, you know, inspirational meeting, or heard some inspirational speakers, or some random Christian conference or business conference, they're going to talk about these seven mountains of influence. A lot of people have ripped them, I shouldn't say ripped them off. That's not, that's not safe to say. But a lot of people have, have modeled their entire ministry on these things, and they've, they've modeled books and 
so there's, it's, a, it's a huge influence, these seven mountains. And so this is what I want to talk about, and because I think that they're important. But the first, and in my opinion, the most important mountain of influence is family. So there's seven, but I think family needs to be broken out. Because family, it's a two-pronged approach. One, it's your own personal families. And I believe if we really want to change and transform our culture, our families, and our marriages, the way that we rear our children need to be changed and transformed. It's really easy to point the finger at culture and society and say, oh, marriage is going down the tubes and, and morality is going down the tubes. And what do you have to model to the world? Your dysfunctional marriage? Look, God wants to transform our marriages. He wants to transform our lives. He wants us to take this log out of our eye instead of pointing out specks in the world's eye. He wants Christians to have incredible, healthy marriages and healthy families. And you know what it takes? Perseverance and character. And another thing, heaven. Hmm? Heaven. It takes what we call the kingdom of God. You may have spent $150 an hour for marriage counseling. And you might need that. There might be some tools that you need. But what some of us really need is a miracle in our marriage. How many people have experienced a miracle in their marriage where it could only have been God? Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Only the kingdom of God can truly transform family. So this is what I'm after. This is what, this is, this is, I mean, it's been an important value, an important key to what we do in our church, uh, how, what we actually do reflects our vision on this. We spend time, energy, and money in marriage and family, and we're going to just continue to do so. But that's one of the major mountains right there, and we're going to be focusing on that in our future. The next one is, this might surprise you, but this is what he gave, this is the, the, the vision that he gave these men is entertainment, arts, and sports. Actually, the kingdom of heaven, God, wants to be in those elements, on that mountain. It's a big deal, folks. Do you have teenagers? Do they like to be entertained? Do they say, I'm bored, unless they've got, unless they're, you know, plugged into something? <laughs> right? So entertainment is a huge deal. Sports is a huge deal. And it's not that God doesn't want us to, you know, cloister ourselves and say all entertainment is bad. He wants to be active on that mountain. Look at it this way. Um, artistically, the Bible series might not be my favorite thing. I haven't, still haven't seen the, the Son of God movie yet. I, I'll see it, I promise. Probably, but again, you know, probably not my favorite thing artistically. But I cannot deny that God is not in that movie and in that series. He's acting in that. Dallas Willard explains the kingdom of God this way. The kingdom of God is God in action. God actually moving. It is 
The kingdom of God is, is when you read about something in the Bible, you pray about something in your home life, and then it comes true. Or you actually see God do something that is impossible. And that's what he's talking about in this area of entertainment. God actually wants to be present in those fields. He wants to take over that mountain. Um, can it be done? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It, um, it, it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a, it ha, it takes a desire for excellence. In Psalms, it says, you know, play your lute, entertain, but do it skillfully. And here's the beautiful thing about our church is that we, obviously, we encourage the arts. We, we turn our entire parking lot, which is now extremely beautiful, we turn our, our entire parking lot into a one big giant play. We value the arts in that area. Uh, uh, Patrick McGarity, who leads us in worship, he's passionate about music. He actually knows the difference between music that honors God and worship music. But see, his, his music, his passion is, is, is in, a, in a way, it's in the entertainment industry to bring quality music to people. That's his passion, and it honors God. Um, racing, that's a sport, right? How many people are into, like, NASCAR and the Grand Prix and all that kind of stuff? Kind of, a, kind of fun, right? Same category. It's a big deal. Like, culturally, it's huge in America, right? Especially in, like, Texas and places like that, that, that other country. Um, <laughs> it's a big deal. I'm telling you, God wants to be present in that. He's desperate to be present and active you know, on that mountain. I'll prove it to you. Can we bring up that slide? Do you have the other one by chance? Okay, you didn't get it. Okay. Uh, that is a Corvette Stingray C7 ZR1. There, the ZR1 has a six-month waiting list for you to get. There's only one of them in California. You know who has it? That guy. He has that car. Because... He knows that, okay, in order for me to continue to move and advance in the kingdom of God, to forcefully move and make something happen, I have to move into this mountain so that I could feed more kids. So somehow, he talked somebody into buying him this car so that we could raffle it off. And he also has a booth at the Grand Prix, which is also impossible. And all this happened within a week. Wow. So... The raffle tickets are 100 bucks. I'm not going to push them right now because I've been pushing a parking lot for a week. That also happened. Um, but if you, if you buy a raffle ticket, you can't count it as tithes and offerings, okay? <laughs> it's, it's your, you, have to, you have to chalk it off out of your entertainment budget, all right? Or your gambling budget. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> shouldn't have said that, huh? Your, your Las Vegas budget. I know no one goes to Las Vegas in our church. So sorry. <laughs> but do you see that God wants to be active in this? And so here's the problem with, with church, 
is that church is so uh, obsessed about doing church and making sure that the other churches around us are doing church the way that we do church. And we spend a lot of time and energy and resources uh, doing church that way instead of trying to influence these other mountains. Next one is business. You know that God wants to be active in business? Um, everything is financed through commerce, financially. I mean, we, we turn the lights on in this building because of commerce. And um, money isn't bad. The love of money is what's bad. I mean, Jesus is very specific about that. Uh, prosperity isn't bad. Um, but the love of prosperity and materialism is bad. And it's a very difficult line to walk. But what we do know is that God wants to be very present in commerce, in business. Again, same type of situation. Uh, when the economy took, turn, took a turn for the worst, uh, we had orphans that kid care was supporting. We couldn't feed them anymore. You know how depressing that is? You know how hard and how heartbroken you are when you can't provide for your own kids? Well, that's how we felt. And so it's okay. What do we do? Do we give up? Do we close down the doors? You know, we have this army that's encroaching on us. We have this, this doom, this depression, and it seems like there's no way out. Well, you open your eyes. You see the angel armies. You see the chariots of fire. And you, you forcefully enter into the kingdom of God. I should probably read that verse in a second. I will. Uh, so we did. So we entered into the mountain of business, and we started a very large thrift store that, that feeds people now. And it happened because of character, perseverance, and kingdom, heaven, supernatural. Things just all lined up. Things fell into the right places at the right time, and it happened. It seemed like the impossible dream. We dreamed the impossible dream, and it happened. We, we, we have a foothold in, in business. And a lot, of, a lot of people do in this church. Um, is she here? I don't think. Is Kathleen Donahue here? Okay, good. I can make fun of her. All right. <laughs> Kathleen Donahue ha owns her own dog grooming business. And I take my dogs there. And when I, when I go in, it's like I'm thinking to myself, man, this is kind of like a front for the gospel. You know, she has alpha flyers everywhere and posters everywhere. She has kindness outreach cards everywhere that says God loves you. She's hiring people that no one else would hire. She believes in them, and she preaches the gospel in her business. It is a front. It is a platform for her to function in the kingdom of heaven. She's a single mom. She's very faithful. Um, now, I'm not going to tell that story. Anyway. Um, so, God wants to be present in business. That's why I had the Dave Ramsey Entree Leadership Conference here at the church a while back places packed out for guys that wanted to, to advance the kingdom of God through business. Uh, the same is true for your career, your, your profession. Uh, look, 
God is going to move his kingdom forward in those environments and not this environment. Church is great. Church is, is for the edification of the body. It's for the building up of the believer. It is, it is for you to receive healing and the gifts. But transformation of the culture is going to take place in the workplace. It is when men and women that of character, they get together before work starts and they have a Bible study and they pray about their day and they're praying for each other and they're leading others to Christ in the workplace. That's where it's going to happen. That is, that is a huge major influence. Uh, the kingdom of God is going to be blessed um, when a wealthy man says, okay, I'm going to finance a Corvette because I know it's going to advance the kingdom of God. And that's how businessmen think, by the way. They, they, don't want to just, they just don't want to give fish away. They want to teach people to fish. So that's what this Corvette's going to do. That's what kid care, that's what charity thrift store does. It's a fishing instrument. It multiplies your gifts. Yeah, I think it's cool. All right, the next area is education. That is a big, giant mountain. And if you have kids in the public school system, you know this is probably a difficult one. And if you're, if you're following and if you're tracking where the school systems are going, it, it's scary. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of good news. The good news is, is there are a lot of teachers and there are a lot of parents that are praying every single morning for your kids. And they are in the public school system and not in the private school system. The major demographic in our church, the number, number one profession in our church is education, by the way. We have more teachers and more support staff and more administrators as, as a profession in our church than any other industry. And so it, we, we pray for that. We, we desperately desire to see you strengthen. And I have to ask myself as, you know, as a leader of a church, am I, are we providing the right resources to support people that are contending in this field? That are, that are standing up for righteousness within their school districts. God, uh, private schools are awesome, but God wants to take over the public school systems again. Jesus wants to get in there. And it is a, it's a huge value. It's a huge, uh, it's a huge mountain. But it is where God wants to be. He wants to be active on that level. And so we're going to try our best to, to support our educators as best that we can. Um, the Pallisons have served in the school districts for years, and Ed Pallison, is, he's, he's dedicated to that. He's praised for that. Uh, it's just been an incredible thing. All right, uh, the next major mountain is government. Shall we just skip this one? Can, <laughs> should we just move on? Is it, is, it, is it possible to be a Christian and to be a politician? Um, it's like saying, is it possible to be a Christian and an attorney? Um, how do you know if a politician and an attorney are lying? Their, their lips are moving, right? Um, yes, absolutely. And I can prove it. Uh, one of the guys that's on the kid care board, he, um, he's an attorney. Him and his wife are attorneys. They are awesome. They work hard. They do an ethical job. They do a, a job of integrity. But you know they have the character. They have the perseverance. You know what else they have? Heaven. Like all over them. Like, Mr. Copenbarger is so obsessed with the kingdom of God. He's so obsessed with seeing God active. That's all he talks about. That is all he talks He'll talk your ear off. 
He prays for you. He doesn't go to this church. He prays for you every day that there will be an outpouring and a revival in our own church. He is constantly seeking breakthroughs and miracles and, and, and divine interventions. He wants kingdom active in his own business of law. Now, politicians, what are we going to do with those guys? All right, let me tell you something. Almost every Sunday, she here? She's not here. I can make fun of her too. Every Sunday over here, there's a young girl. When we worship, she leads us. She connects with God stronger than probably most people in this room right now. She engages the Holy Spirit. She has a desire and a drive to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. She's a college student at Claremont McKenna. Her desire, her goal, is to be the president of the United States. And she's going to do it. She's going to do it. She has four years with us, and then she's going to take over the world. And so I, I can't tell you how important our church is and just providing an atmosphere where that young girl can be encouraged to go into go on to a mountain that wants to eat her lunch. We have an incredible opportunity. You, now you're going to be looking for. It's your, it is your responsibility as a church family to pray for her. She will be your next president someday. So yes, God wants passionate people that are crazy about the kingdom, to see God in action and not God dead in a book in government, in entertainment, in education. The next one is media. Wouldn't it be amazing if God was in the media? Well, he wants to be there too. Isn't the media the strangest thing you've ever seen? It has so much control. It is so manipulative. And it's desperate. it desperately needs godly men and women who could report the news accurately. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Right. Who could actually tell the truth of what is really going on in society. It's a definite need. Rick Pichot and Vanessa Pichot, they work in media. That's what they do. I think it's encouraging. And then the last major mountain is, this is kind of, this is, this is irony, but the last major mountain, the major influence in culture and society is religion. Interesting, huh? I mean, this is a religious institution, if you will. I hate to say that, but, I mean, legally it is. But religion, the institutions of religion are such a powerful uh, force in, in influencing our culture. Um, the danger. God, Jesus wants to be active in religion, too. Did you know that? I, mean, I know that seems kind of counterintuitive, but I'll put it to you this way. Um, I have been to Christian events, and I have been to Christian concerts. I've been to church services, and I come out saying, oh, that was entertaining, and that's about it. No kingdom there. No heaven there. Just a fancy light show and that's about it. It made me feel, got the warm fuzzies on the, on the inside, but um, it didn't 
transform any part of my life. It didn't change anything in my life. I had no vision of, of heaven at these events. And so what the, the, the difficulty and the trap is for us as American Christians is, is turning into a cultural Christian. Once we become cultural Christians, and we, be, we have Christianity in America is a huge economy. Once we, we see it as an economy, we don't see it as kingdom. Uh, see, Jesus wants to come in and start kicking over tables. He wants to start whipping some money changers. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's funny, but um, he doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want religion. He wants relationship. And, again, the danger of, of a Christian economy and culture of Christians is that we, we will take the idea of a house of worship and we'll turn it into a house of prayer, uh, commerce. He wants a house of prayer. He wants a house of a relationship. That's what he's saying. So you, you've taken my house of relationship where we sit down and have dinner together, and, and you, you've turned it into a meat market. This is not what I desire. And so Jesus wants to get back into religion. He wants to transform religion. And not just our religion. If you drive around Chino and Ontario, you're going to notice there's a lot of other religions that are popping up with very big buildings. You got, you got Buddhist temples, you got, you got mosques, you got uh, Baha'i faith centers. They're, all, they're popping up all over the place. You know what? That's a huge mountain. And Jesus wants to invade that and influence that too. He wants to transform it all. So here it is in a nutshell. Uh, Write this down. I believe strongly that the vision and the direction of Granite Tr Creek is to transform families and cultures to heaven. I'll say that. I said it backwards. The vision of Granite Creek is to have families and cultures transformed by heaven. It's, it's the kingdom of God. It is being able to see where, what God is actually doing. Now, Paul says uh, the kingdom of God is not of word, but of power. Look, if the word does not lead to power, then it's a book. It's not the living word of God. If it doesn't transform you, if it doesn't change your life, you're reading it wrong. If church is it transforming you? If, if you feel good in worship, but it doesn't change your life, then, then you're worshiping wrong. You're worshiping with an entertainment mentality and not a, not a relationship mentality. It ought to transform. The vision, the direction, is to see God in action. To see God in action in our families, in our church family, and to see God in action in every element of our culture. And you ought to be encouraged by this. Maybe you have this deep desire to serve God. He wants you serving in the business place. He wants you serving in the entertainment industry. He wants you serving in, in, in education. He wants you serving in government. He might want you serving in a religion. I don't know. But he's got a purpose and a plan for every single one to transform our culture. All right.
One last verse, and then we'll wrap it up. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent, and the violent take it by force. What is he saying? Is he saying that the enemy of darkness is attacking the kingdom of heaven? Not quite. Is he saying that only violent people are they're going to get their way in life? No. He's saying the kingdom of heaven, in order to see God active in your life, in order to see miracles, in order to see things to supernaturally line up, in order to see divine appointments, in order to see breakthrough, you have to take it by force. You have to happen to the kingdom of heaven. You have to forcefully enter into heaven. You have to desperately desire heaven. I have seen amazing miracles my entire life. I have been privileged in that, in, in a way. Uh, I was part of a, a re- massive revival when I was a young age, at a young age. And I've seen amazing things. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs and throw their crutches away. Uh, when we were in Brighton Beach, I think I was like seven or eight years old. And maybe ten, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, very vivid in my memory. Where it was a, it was a religious event. It was a church event. It was a big conference, and it was kind of a one-of-a-kind at the time. And um, you would see God acting. So the Bible was being read, and the Word was being preached, but people were being healed. And blind people literally were opening up their eyes. And at this time, um, in this culture of England, very, uh, the culture is very dominated by the occult. And so... Uh, the local occult sent in a huge delegation of witches and warlocks to cause trouble. And the, the king of the witches was supposedly there too. I don't know what the king of the witches is and what he looks like, but that was the report. And they were there to, to disrupt. And I remember this vividly. I remember people getting healed left and right uh, in the audience. And then the, the, there were the troublemakers that were in the, that were in the audience too, and you could hear you could hear the you could hear the noise of it. You know, you could hear them trying to to disrupt and be disrespectful and to mock what what God was doing. And then something happened from the very top of the auditorium where I could see heaven. I I mean I'm not saying this literally, but it's like I could see heaven open up, and I could see the angel armies and the chariots of fire, and it rolled down over everybody. And all of that noise, all of that chatter was silenced because the presence of God was there. And it was so powerful. And it transformed that entire auditorium. And I remember uh, John Wember was speaking at the time. And when that happened, we were down in the front. And John looks at my dad and he says, wow, uh, the Holy Spirit looks really good on you. This is really cool, isn't it, Larry? And he says, yes. He said, I'm never going to forget that. That, that's, that's the kingdom of heaven. That is what truly transforms marriages. It's what truly transforms society. 
It will truly transform all of those mountains of culture. And it has to be taken by force. You have to forcefully enter into heaven. It's not going to happen to you. It does every once in a while. For the most part, perseverance and character and a desire to see the kingdom of God here and now on earth as it is in heaven. It's that desire. I may never see another miracle for the rest of my life. I want to tell you something. I'm okay with that. I'm st- if I never see a healing, if I never see God act and move again, I'm going to be okay because I'm still going to love Jesus. And it's good enough. The miracles are not what we do. It's what we desire. I'm always going to have a heart for it. I'm always going to desire to see God break through in a supernatural way. I'm going to seek it. I'm going to forcefully enter in. If, I, if we get breakthrough, praise God. If not, I still love Jesus. If I could have the band and ushers come to the front. And as they're on their way up, maybe we can repeat it again. Granite Creek sees families and cultures transformed by heaven. Awesome. All right. What does that really look like? What does that physically look like? I don't know. It looks like your, it looks like your, your family, your extended family gets saved. It looks like you, you're walking in provision. It looks like you have God breakthrough in your life. It looks like a blacktop that happened in, in four days, financed in four days. That's what, that's, that's what it looks like. And that's what, that's what I'm after. I'm after God actively moving in this church, and that he's actively moving in your life, that we can... We can send people out to, to run the country that have our values. We could be healthy enough to plant an amazing church. That's what we're after. Let's pray. God, right now, I just pray a peace on everyone here, those that are, those that are navigating difficult waters, that are struggling, that, that don't have any direction in their life. God, I pray that you will, you will show them heaven, God, that you will open their eyes and they will see that your number is way bigger than their problem. That your number can overcome anything. I pray that you will show our people angel armies and chariots of fire this week. God, I pray as you lead this church forward that there won't be any confusion of, of where we're going and what we do and what we value. I pray that we'll all be on the same page. God, I pray that you will just bless this offering. God, may this offering increase your kingdom. May it allow God to be more active. We love you. Amen.